Good morning. My name is Dave Smithson. I'm the Senior Vice President of Exploration for Lift Power. Um, we are lithium explorers. Our flagship project is the Yellowknife Pegmatite Field in uh, the Northwest Territories in Canada. And it's a series of wide and long dikes that represent a major resource base in North America. David, thank you very much for the introduction. Um, I will want to get into the geology. I mean, this is, after all, a, uh, I'm being designated as a technical interview. Um, but first, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you come to the company and um, what's your background? Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story because um, I actually met Francis back in Newmont. Both of us worked for Newmont in the gold and base metal space for many years. And we crossed over um, in Africa and uh, I went on to work f uh, for the uh, the resource portfolio for for Newmont and the the chief geoscientist of Newmont for several years out of Denver, and went around the world for them and got amazing experience in gold and and, uh, and base metal stuff, mostly gold. Francis and I over the years after we left Newmont shared each other's projects. We shared projects with each other and showed each other our stuff and kept each other abreast with what we were doing and always bounced ideas off each other. And, um, you know, so I've seen a lot of stuff that he's been working on uh, over the years, and he's seen a lot of stuff that I've worked on over the years. Um, in December last year, uh, Francis showed me a really good project, a particularly good one that I hadn't seen something of its quality in the market or something that he'd been working on that was really that impressive. And that inspired me to stop what I was doing and come over to Lyft to... Um, to realize a real opportunity. And so I'm coming from the, the, the gold-based metal space and coming into lithium. A lot of us are new explorers in the area, but there's a hell of a lot of crossover. And when you have really good people and you have uh, the right tools and the right team assembled, the sky's the limit. And so um, that I commenced with the company in January this year and I came onto the company at the stage where it was really just a concept. It's interesting um, what you're talking about, kind of recognizing an opportunity, because um, I've been following the Azure Mineral story um, with the Andover Lithium Project in Australia, and um, Tony Rivera, about a year ago, where are we now? Yeah, about a year ago, was kind of talking about the lithium pegmatite field on, as a conceptual stage, and then they really started drilling it out um, through the course of the last 10 months, and, and then they've now got a conceptual target of between 100 and 240 million tonnes, and it's, it, it's gone like a bone, you know, it's billion-dollar market capitalization, and uh, it, I, th I think the share prices, uh, the shares have been suspended at the moment, pending change of control um, uh, transaction. So, it's when these things go, they 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 go with a whoosh. Um, do you th <laughs> uh, gold? Gold is hard to find, isn't it? I mean, that, that's the that's the tricky thing about um, gold mineralization is that the art is in finding it. And once you've found it and delineated your resource, then then it's a relatively easy bit because the capex and the metallurgy and the mineralogy is often quite simple. I know it can be complicated, but it's the finding it that's difficult. But it's um, not so not so hard to find lithium pegmatites um, where you are. Yeah, no, it's a it's a unique time in to be an explorer in the, in the lithium space. Um, the the pegmatites at in Yellowknife are very long and very wide. You can see them from space. You can you can map them out with uh, on on aerial photography on uh, satellite imagery, and um, you can work out their average grade based on historical work that's already been completed on the project. So 
as I was saying earlier, I actually came onto this project at a conceptual stage. The concept was, wow, these things are big. We know what's happening to other exploration groups. People are finding spodumene bearing outcrops and drilling on them and turning them into into major, you know, major resources. So anything can happen with these things. They're incredibly um, the whoosh is the right the right term, like you said. That's what happens on these things. And it feels like exploring for gold fifty years ago when guys would have walked into, you know, um, VG and outcrop, you know, we're walking into outcrop with uh, 20 to 30% spodumene on surface. And this is high grade stuff and it's very valuable. And we're not exploring through cover. We're not trying to find them in tricky places. We're not looking for the peripheries of systems and, and exploring for them. We're tripping over them in the field. We're seeing yeah. them from space. So it's, it's amazing. When you talk about coming into it at a conceptual stage, does that mean that you were um, designing the, the the drill program with um, with Francis? It, it, was that kind of your first task, so to speak, kind of get up to speed and design a drill program? Yeah, hundred percent. My my first task was to realize the true size and scale of the opportunity. We had seen in the historical data, and you know this is what pulled me in. Everybody in the past had seen how amazing these pegmatites really are. And people have held, held on to them. They've done systematic trenching all the way back to the 50s when they were discovered. And um, it just shows that everybody that's ever worked on them, no matter the price of lithium, has seen them as something to hold on to because it's such a big pegmatite field and they're so wide and they're so long and there's so many tons there. So coming onto the project, it's like, oh my gosh, uh, this thing's massive and could it really be that big? And so that was the answer to qu the, the question to answer in the, in the drill program. If we can show that these things go to depth, then we do have a, a major resource base and, and a unique project in a, in a AAA position globally in Canada. I, I think there are only about seven or eight resources with over 100 million tons of um, kind of, let's call it economic uh, uh, style grade mineralization. Um, so, I, I mean, that's obviously the exploration target. You, you talk about um, 10 kilometers of strike. You talk about an average thickness of 15 meters, take it down to 300 meters. You know, when I put that into my spreadsheet, I, I, I get over 100 million tons of, 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 of rock as a kind of a thumb suck conceptual target. Is, is, is that what you're looking for yeah i mean our target is 100 to 150 million tons yeah. okay, of, well, that's, uh, I'm, of I'm, I'm right in the ballpark there you're right in the ballpark yeah and um <laughs> there's nothing like this in, in in north america there's absolutely nothing like it and um the dikes that we're drilling the eight dikes that we're drilling are not the title portfolio either we control a, the vast majority of the economic pegmatides out there we're just starting in the places that we think we can pull the tons together into a central area. So what you're seeing in the drill result is only a fraction of the pegmatites that we actually have. On your presentation, I can see you've got a group which you call the, the road access group, very helpfully named. I, I, I presume that there's road access to that group. Um, and then there's the further afield group, which I presume is further afield. And you talk about 10 kilometers of pegmatite strike that you've mapped from space. How much is in the road access group and how much is in the of that 10 kilometers and how much is in the further afield group? 
Yeah, most of it's in the the stuff that we talk about is mostly in the uh, mostly in the rate accessible group. So that's where we see the focus of the the best tons and the widest widths, and that's where we think we can pull together enough tons to transport things into a central location to process them. And the eight um, dikes that you're targeting are in that road access group. So your your drilling is road um, road supported. Yeah, one, uh, seven of the eight are in the road accessible and we're testing one in the fire field because it's just okay. gigantic and amazing. Yeah. So we had to go test it early. And what does that look like? Well, it, it, it's not anything what we thought, actually. And this is the exciting thing about uh, being in the lithium space is that, you know, you, we're just going to be given surprise after surprise. The fire field dike that we're drilling right now is called the Echo uh, Dike. Um, it's a spodumene pegmatite, and it was historically mapped and trenched, and it, you know it's got fantastic grade, you know up to a couple of percent um, lithium oxide. Uh, the dikes are extensive on surface, and everybody realised that they you know looked really juicy, and uh, we actually sent a consultant out there to look at them, and it was one of his favourites across all of the pegmatites that we'd seen. So we start drilling. And it's an exciting time. And we learned that actually none of the geology fit with what we were thinking. And so when we turned our model sideways, all of the, all of the, uh, the data locked together and we realized that we we're actually dealing with sills. And what's really important about flat-lying structures is, is that they have really low strip ratio. So not only the big surprise that we had over there was like, oh gosh, it's a massive pegmatite, amazing, everybody loves it. Let's go drill it. Not what we thought, but guess what? It's flat. And that means the economic surprise, not a bad surprise. Fantastic surprise. So, you know, generally that's been the trend to now. The trend has been good news. Um, what's the thickness of that uh, sill at Echo? The sills are stacked. There's multiple sills. We know of at least three. And we know of a, a steep feeder that's, that's feeding um, those dikes into the stratigraphy. So they're, they're, they're magmas that are in placing in structures, but they also bleed out of the structures into the stratigraphy and they follow the ductile geometries of the, of the, the sediments in which they're hosted. Um, so the dikes themselves vary between 10 to 15 meters and the main feeder dikes around the same width. And we've tested uh, down to uh, 150 meters from surface and we've poked through three lenses so far. Uh, but you know, that, that feeder still goes down or they, might coalesce so it's really we really don't know what we're going to get ultimately but the initial drill pass was pretty phenomenal and where is there the the results uh process on echo because I, when I look at your website and i look at your news flow and you're putting out these kind of regular almost weekly updates um uh i i, I confess i was slightly kind of um overwhelmed coming into this interview with the with all of the names of the eight different dikes um, i I can't remember whether Echo has come out the back end of the sausage factory, or is it still in the in the in the, in the the mincer? Yeah. So I mean, the the Echo has been has gone through the lab, and we do have results, and we have released some of those results. And um, you know, it's proving to have great. It's running over a percent, um, and we took a very quick pass at it because it wasn't actually in the original drill program. We originally decided to stay and drill off the uh, road accessible group 
Um, but it was just too good to refuse, and we decided to pivot the program and run run a, a, a quick camp out there and throw four thousand meters into it and just see what see what we could get. And that was a really good thing to do because that's time value exploration. And what it taught us was that, hey, we're dealing with a totally different beast out there. It's not this steep structure that might have a terrible strip ratio. It's actually a flat sill, which has the form of a pit, basically. So, you know, stepping out early and seeing some further afield stuff, I think was a really good strategy. And it's it's paying for us. And it's we'll continue drilling it off in the, in the winter and we'll be better prepared geometrically for how to drill it off. Um, in terms of the actual sausage factory and, and the meat grinder, uh, it's about uh, four weeks from the core coming out of the ground to getting results back. That can change, obviously. Things that happen in the world. We had an, we had an emergency uh, situation up in Yellowknife with qualifiers and such. But generally, that's the trend. You know, we can get a rock out of the ground. We fly it, we fly it and get it cut. And we try and get it off to the lab as soon as possible. And, um, you know, the strategy behind this constant news flow is to keep our shareholders informed. I know myself as a shareholder, as somebody that invests in the market. If somebody's drilling, I want to know exactly what they're seeing coming out of the ground. And if I can get a hold by hold blow, even better. And if I don't, if I don't receive news, then I start wondering why, why I'm not receiving news. So our strategy is twofold. It's to supply a consistent supply, a, a consistent uh, flow of information to the shareholder weekly updates on results as we get them in they flow through we 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 cross-section them we publish them and we show what's going on again like you were saying it's a lot of dikes it's a big area um they're all slightly different they all have different widths and different grades they all have different internals so that's been the strategy a, a steady flow five five six holes a week and just as we drill five six holes a week then we just keep pumping them through like that and um, um, as a, you, as a... Um, you, you say that um, a lot of the surprises have been positive. Um, w- when I do go through the news releases, I mean, some of the dikes don't have mineralization. And um, am I right in thinking that one of the most important things that you're trying to do in, in these planar bodies, the dikes, is to build up continuity, both um, kind of vertically and also along strike? Um, how's, how's that shaped up? It, with the data over time. Yeah, it's, it's all about consistency. It's all about consistency of feed to the mill ultimately, consistency in grade and consistency in spodumene. So um, there is alteration on these systems. Um, they're not just pure magmatic rock forming mineral uh, systems. They, are, they do have hydrothermal um, sections to them. And um, the degree of alteration and the degree of hydrothermal overprint on them varies from dike to dike and it's a common thing in these pegmatites it pretty much occurs in all of them and it accounts for most of the variability in most of them globally is the these overprinting hydrothermal um, pathways that are developed on the dikes and the style of alteration is called a Grison alteration and it's uh, quartz and muscovite that replaces spodumene so there are places on the dike uh, where there is spodumene replacement um, but our modeling is showing us that it's on the, on the outsides of the system. So it's actually now giving us more vector information on, on where, to move the, uh, where to move the drills and in what direction to go. And um, the other really interesting thing that we, we, we postulated could be possible coming from gold space is that spodumene actually forms in shoots. And um, that's what we found. And so on the outsides of the shoots, we get 
we get uh, more, more of this glycosol alteration peripheral. And when we systematically drilled through that, we saw a lot of variation in results. But what it's done for us is made us realize, actually, it's, it's a zoning. You see the nice clean spodumene in the middle, and it grades out into, into these more you know, hydrothermal kind of leakages outwards from the main uh, clean spodumene zones, and they have a geometry themselves. So they're not just planes. They're actually plunging bodies on planes. Mm. And that's uh, coming I mean, from the gold space. That's, yeah, that's our, that's our bread and butter. That's our bread and butter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forgive my complete ignorance about how these things are in place and formed. I, I, from what you've what you've described, and perhaps it's useful to the the viewers. There's the uh, the 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 coarse crystals of spodumene and quartz and feldspar uh, form question in a magma chamber, which then um, breaches the overlying lithostatic pressure, and then the the the, the, the coarse crystals effectively flow up into the the voids, which when the with the gaps are vertical, that's those are those are dikes, and when there's a um, suitable fracture system, horizontal, they, they become sills. Is, is 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 that the right kind of general thesis? Yeah, that's the general thesis. And again, they're very simple, and that's why they lend themselves so well to resource modeling because the a resource model is only as good as the geological model, and these are geologically very simple. And like you described, these are magmas. There's competing. Uh, arguments on how they the mag the actual melt forms but essentially a melt forms and it occupies any kind of cracks or you know weaknesses in the crust which might be stratigraphic they might be um it might inherit the um the fold and thrust belt uh, the the fold and thrusting geometries and what we're seeing between the two um all the different systems is that they do follow brittle upright structures but they do bleed into stratigraphy and make flat bodies as well. So it's very simple ge geometrically. Most of them are pretty planar. Most of them are pretty straight. Um, and most of them form in sort of like tree, tree trunks into a, into a solid trunk. And that's what we're seeing. And that's been another pleasant surprise is that things have co coalesced from, from um, dike swarms on surface to consistent thick trunks at depth and that's what we've seen on a number of the uh the dikes that are steeply dipping that things come together at depth which is what we were hoping for and in, in, in one of them um there were kind of four dikes and um dike uh one and three were um were, were mineralized and, and in another one dikes uh two and three were mineralized is, um is that just a function of the kind of the the, the grisonization or the grison alteration that you were talking about? You know, which which of the where, where they get higher up, which ones are kind of altered? The system actually gets to a point where it's crystallizing, so it's changing from a liquid magma into a solid rock, and so there's a density change, and that density change is accommodated by exolution of fluids, and so just like in a porphyry, it starts crystallizing and dissolves a heap of fluid. These intrusions do the same thing. And they, they leak off a, a fluid and it evolves through time and it eventually evolves into a Grison fluid, which, is, uh, which replaces bodumene ultimately. Okay. And so um, how are you using that as a, as a vector? Is, is there any remote sensing stuff that you can do or is it just geological, um, geological modeling where you see the more the, 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 the mica and the, and the quartz? Um, do you think, okay, well now we're on the outside of the system, let's move away from that. Is, 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 it, is it being led by you geologists or are there some remote sensing kind of geochemical um, or other features that are helping you hone in? 
Yeah, the di- the dikes are pretty tight. The alteration on the dikes are very tight, um, and they're yeah they're quite narrow. So remote remote sensing, like for, at a remote sensing scale, they're quite narrow. So what we look for in the remote sensing is actual causative implu- in, intrusions, and we look for two mica intrusions, which produce pegmatites. So we don't necessarily um, look for mineralogical differences in the dikes spectrally through satellite imagery. Rather, we look for fields of intrusions which have the right spectral characteristics that may produce pegmatites at their periphery. In detail, on the on the drill scale and on the deposit scale, we're defining the zonation and what's going on day to day by modeling and by understanding uh, the geology. So that's why every week we put out cross-sections, our news flow and our workflow is already complete by the time we get the drill results back because we're modeling everything in real time and we're modeling all the mineralogy in real time. The mineralogy is what makes these things. So you want nice clean spodumines that are really coarse, really euhedral, got nice fresh boundaries, so they can be crushed down and they're easy to liberate from the gang and they're easy to, 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 to convert into a concentrate. So understanding the mineralogy of these things is the big, big, big thing. And it's a little bit different from, you know, exploring in, in typical uh, hydrothermal gold systems or porphyry systems in that you're actually trying to vector away from alteration and towards fresh rock. And so... We can, we can map the alteration really clearly because it's muscovite. And muscovite's a really easy uh, mineral for most geologists to, to identify. And, um, and um, so we do uh, one meter. Every meter, we actually estimate the modal percentages of all the minerals in the rock. And then we do um, implicit modeling of those minerals. I, I see that you, uh, in the news releases, you talk about um, kind of getting the, the, the mineral characterization by using uh, hyperspectral scanning and x-ray diffraction uh, is that a piece of kit that you that you have in your central core shed that the, the that you run all the core through yeah that's correct we have a, a c container with a three uh three camera system that allows us to see the gang mineralogy and all of the alteration mineralogy and importantly the spodumene mineralogy and of course we're visually logging everything uh, modally um per meter basis but we can only see so much of the core it's not a you know it's not it's not the whole thing so the it gives us a very very close estimation of what the grade will be and we use the visual estimations of spodumene percentages to calculate a predicted lithium oxide number which gives us as a group when we report every week and we talk internally about how we're going and if we're succeeding or we're flatlining or we're going the wrong way we use those data in real time to predict how well we're actually doing. And it's worked really close? well. Yeah? Yeah, we're very yeah. close. Yeah. Yeah, it's very close. Um, and um, I've, I've, I've wanted to ask about your kind of your, your, your drill plan across the eight dikes and the, the fact that you did that big, um, you know, you took that 4,000 meters to go and drill Echo. Um, how much of it was kind of systematic, uh, laid out right from the beginning? And how much change has there been in terms of... Uh, you know, have you changed the number of dikes that you're targeting, um, or was it was it roughly all part of the plan to drill all eight? It's an interesting um, 
project. It's a hybrid resource exploration project, and we're learning on the fly. We had we had a concept, we had some historic, historical information, and we set out and started drilling. We set out to drill knowing that there's going to be surprises, things are going to change, and of course they have. And um, we've got a very dynamic team. We see everything in real time. Um, we're totally cloud-based, and all of our data is visualized in real time. It's all almost all automated, actually. And so it facilitates a lot of thinking and no nuts and bolts messing around trying to get information in and get it visual so you can see things and make decisions. Our stuff is all flowing all real time and it allows us to make real time decisions. And what mm, we've seen fantastic. is that these are not just planar features. They're actually, the spodumene is contained on that plane in a, in a, in a geometry which is more like a pencil or a, or a cigar shape that goes down that plane. And so we're learning as we go that it's not just a simple process of systematically drilling them out. I mean, we have to systematically drill them out because we need to know, you know, if there's anything else down there, if, you know, if there's um, where the limits of spodumene are. And what we found in the drilling, for example, is that the spodumene actually funnels into high grade zones that follow, sh that follow spodumene shoots. And so our, our drilling has evolved. It's not stag It's not static at all. It's we're not like let's set the drill program and drill that. We don't work like that. We move to the information and we make decisions on the fly. Echo is a good example of that. We pivoted the program out there to get that testing because we we knew it was going to be very important and it gave us a really amazing surprise in that it's a sill, it's flat lying, it's going to have a low strip, it's going to be great. When we went to Fire Southwest, for example, we started systematically drilling it off. And then we realized, oh gosh, it's actually focusing into a plunge going that way. And we started doing deeper holes to go test for underground potential. And so we started the program based on the historical work. The historical workers said, well, there could be, yeah, it could go to 150 meters. If it goes to 150 meters, you know, you've got 50 to 75, you know, million tons sitting out there but we said well what if it goes to 300 meters what if it goes uh deeper than that when we started drilling we realized that it goes deeper than that and um, we have done uh tests down to 300 meters below surface in these spodumene shoots and we're seeing that yeah they're full of spodumene over good bits is it possible that you might focus on the kind of the high grade plunging shoots and um, i know you've still got an exploration target of 100 to 150 million tons but could it be that you kind of the, the the first 20 or 30 that you target is um is the high grade stuff and kind of you put more emphasis on those on those um shoots or that uh it's is there enough of these plunging shoots to still kind of fit into your overall exploration target thesis yes yeah. i mean it seems like a common theme on on at least four of the eight dikes that we're drilling i mean we're very early days on some of them but the ones that we have more advanced drilling on, they all seem to coalesce into shoots, just like gold does, um, structurally controlled. Um, so, you know, our thinking has evolved from pits to underground. And so our exploration targeting, our resource drill spacing, and the way we're approaching it is changing through, through time as well. Our goal here, our job is to realize tons. The more tons and the higher grade we can get, the better. And that's the objective of this drilling is to define 
which are the best dikes? Where are they? How do they sit spatially? How are we going to get them out of the ground? And where do we take them to? So it's all about being systematic, but there's also an element of exploration mixed in there in that we're pivoting to new things. We're testing shoots to see if that geometry is real and we're learning on the fly. And our tool set, you know, working from, you know, 3D modeling all the way through to core scanning to remote sensing spectral work to uh, magnetics and geophysics to we've thrown the kitchen sink at in terms of exploration tools to understand where the dikes might get fatter, where the corridors go to. And I'll give you an example. We ran a, um, a geophysical survey in the summertime and identified structures. And we set a hole out recently, uh, 450 meters from the north end of one of our dikes, and we hit pegmatite with spodumene in it. And okay. it's not outcropping. So yeah. it is a real combination of exploring and resource drilling. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you. Now, of course, you had that month um, curtailment uh, due to the yellow, um, to the to the wildfires. Um, your drill program is 32,000 meters-ish and you had wanted to do 40,000. So there's kind of a missing um, 8,000 meters. Are you going to kind of uh, recoup that in time? Yeah, the plan is the, we're only stopping the drilling because it's becoming uneconomic to fly things around with the weather windows that we have at this time of the year up there. So we're in a, we're in a lull where we have to wait for things to freeze off. But as soon as everything freezes, we'll be out there dragging those drills across the snow and ice and we'll get those drills turning again and we'll get the rest of those meters. And I don't think we're ever going to actually stop. I think we're just going to get out there this winter. We'll, we'll drill the rest of that initial program. Um, we'll start, we'll, we'll start to uh, resource model that and we'll start getting some tons and grades onto it. And my inclination based on what we've seen so far is that we'll just keep going and it's going to be more and more and more drilling. And, um, we'll get into those more far afield dikes as we go. But the, uh, the, the goal for the company is to hit that, hit that uh, drill meterage target at the end of winter, which was always the plan. And will you be able to drive to the far, um, far field group uh, over the snow and ice? I mean, is that something you can do on skidoos and um, um, w without road access? Yeah, we'll create our own ice road to get out there and we'll just drag everything across. And it's good. Easy to easy um, goes. David, um, thank you so much. It's been really a fascinating um, introduction into the kind of the technical aspect of your project it's taught me a bit about uh, pegmatite exploration uh, and um, lithium exploration um, and uh, good luck with the drilling and uh, I look forward to kind of having another conversation perhaps in a few months when the when the when the story has continued to evolve I'd be delighted exciting times and I look forward to more good news and to talk again in the future